0: This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. When you think of the word struggle, what comes to mind? Do you imagine something that uh, maybe doesn't feel awesome, maybe has a negative connotation to it? Or when you think of struggle, do you think of something positive? I know for me, struggle has always been... I think of adversity and it's not a great feeling yet. Today's guest is hopefully gonna change your mindset around that. He would suggest to you that inside of struggle is a gift, a gift that can truly change the way that we lead. I know that I was in a mastermind with Gary Keller and he shared that success is really just about survival. It's about that as you build your business and endure all those challenges and struggles, that if you can remain standing, if you can still be there at the end, then you are successful. The reason we are excited about today's episode is because we honestly believe this will make a big impact for you. When you hear today's guest's stories, uh, they're going to pull at your heartstrings a little bit. And most importantly, they're going to challenge you to think about your purpose, why you are doing what you are doing. And if you take the lessons that we discuss here today, we truly believe that this can transform the way you show up as a leader. With that, we're excited to introduce you to Bobby Herrera, the author of the brand new book, The Gift of Struggle, Life-Changing Lessons About Leading, after this quick break.
1: Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is, Factor has delicious, ready-to-eat meals that are ever-fresh and never-frozen Ray Bard,
0: who published The One Thing, who arguably is one of the greatest minds and business books out there today, reaches out and says, Hey, I've got another book coming out. And it's called The Gift of Struggle. And you've got to talk to the author. My ears certainly perked up. So what is The Gift of Struggle?
2: Uh, Jeff, The Gift of Struggle is uh, a collection of stories from my journey that you know started with me being one of 13. In a migrant farm working family, to joining the army, to building my business, to raising my own family. And as I reflected on that journey, it was very clear to me that there was a common thread. And every struggle that I had throughout my journey had a gift, a lesson that I could later apply when I faced a similar obstacle. And I'm a storyteller, and I told I often told those stories and I finally put it in a collection of stories and tied it to a lesson. And I want the world to see struggle in a new light, like I was able to do as a source of empowerment. And it's helped me get through similar obstacles when I face them in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Bring us back to your childhood. What, what's one of those moments that really stands out to you when you were enduring major struggle and there was, an, there was a lesson packed inside.
2: Yeah, the bus story. Um, when I was 17, my brother and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game. And along the way, we stopped for dinner. And everybody unloaded off the bus, except for me and my brother, Ed. At that point in my family's story, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. And we were way out well beyond the embarrassment. We had been on that bus many times. It was just a fact of life for us. And a few moments after the team unloaded, this gentleman steps on board the bus, one of the dads to the other players. And he teased me a little bit because my brother dad had outscored me that night. And then he said something to me, Jeff, that I will always remember. He said, Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you dinner. So that you and Ed can join the rest of the team. Nobody else has to know. All you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid just like you on this bus. And I'll never forget the wave of gratitude that I felt at that moment. Struggle had been the only constant in my family's journey up to that point. And we were a migrant farm working family. We had It was very obvious to me that our family didn't have what others did. And I wanted off that bus more than anything. But more than anything, when I stepped off that bus, although I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, I knew why. Like I was going to figure out some way, somehow to pay forward that kind act of generosity to Mr. Teague. And it just had a profound impact on me. It was the first time in my life that. I had felt seen. I mean, here comes a successful businessman that he's not supposed to notice kids like me. And instead, with one true act of kindness, showed me that that's what great, great leaders do. It was the first time in my life that I felt seen. And it gave me purpose. And that bus story ultimately became the invisible force that, that, is, that drives me
0: you said a, a word there which is leaders and leadership the book ultimately is about leadership right you got it so what's what's the sub,
2: subtitle uh, life changing lessons about leading
0: so let's line the dominoes up for people how does struggle actually help us show up as better leaders
2: That's, well let me i'm going to give you a little bit of context jeff cuz yeah you know jay and gary fundamentally lay out an extraordinary plan for the fact that success is an inside job. Well, so too is leadership.
0: What do you you mean by inside job?
2: Well, uh, First and foremost, the single most important question that any aspiring leader can ask himself is, who am I becoming? And Mm -hmm. the lead domino of development is you and who you're becoming as a person. And that is the lead domino. And in the book, part one is, who am I? And as you map out your leadership journey, a dear mentor taught me many years ago that you are not allowed to change anyone until you change yourself. Mm -hmm. Leadership is an inside job. It all starts with you because people do what people see. I mean, (laughs) and you're you're a parent for a year and you know that. They're going to model who you are and your behavior. And I use struggle to connect the dots there for you. Like struggle, it's a it's the most honest and revealing measure of progress that any leader can have. You must go through struggle, pain, and suffering to get to the wisdom. There's no shortcut there.
0: It's interesting. I, I remember we were talking, Jay and I were talking, we were saying, what what is it that makes results so meaningful? And Ray Dalio, he wrote a book called Principles, and he was talking about one of the great things of extraordinary people is they learn to struggle well. He used that, that language. And the example was if you think of Michael Phelps, you know, one of the most decorated Olympians of all time, if he hopped in the pool, swam, swam a lap, and he was wearing his favorite floaties and got to the end and they handed him a gold medal, how much would it be worth? Nothing. Nothing. None. Yet, like like yeah. every like every be, consolation given to every children, every child. Yet, you think about seven days a week, hours a day, every day, pain, suffering, enduring over years that led to those medals.
2: What's it worth? That's when you achieve that fulfillment that we all desire. Mm-hmm. It means something to you. Mm. If it's just handed to you, then it's an empty victory. But if you know that you gave your best, and you know every time you fell down, which you're going to over and over again, you're going to cherish that victory. And why I wrote the book is because like we all struggle, and every struggle teaches us something. Mm. That's the gift. And leadership is sharing those gifts with others.
0: I imagine, and I think to the experiences that I've had just engaging with other people, some of the corporate training we have done, when there is true struggle happening, sometimes we don't work as one. Sometimes we uh, don't act as a team. Talk to us about how we actually do line the dominoes up and work as one with one singular focus.
2: One of the chapters in part three is the toy pile. And uh, I have I have three kids. And sometimes it's like changing a tire on a moving car with three kids. <laughs> and I, I, any parent can relate. Well, one afternoon, Jeff, I get home. And I have this whistle when I walk into the mudroom. And it's my patented whistle. I've been doing it since my oldest was a month old. And they know the whistle. I can surprise them in a park anywhere, and they'll know it's dad. And so I get home, and I whistle. Nothing. And then I'm used to pitter-patter of feet running down the hall. It's the favorite part of my day. And instead, I hear nothing, and I peek around the corner. And my kids are caught up in this game that they've been playing. And... I go in, I catch up with my wife in the kitchen, grab a beer, we just catch up on the day, and Rosalind and I are sitting there talking, and my daughter had started to build this toy pile, and she's the youngest. And before long, my two boys started bull rushing her toy pile, and my oldest goes over and tries to get in on the fun. Well, my daughter takes a stance, and she's like, no! And then here comes middle brother, and he's trying to get it on the fun. And she's sitting there protecting her pile. And after a bit, like I'm thinking I'm going to have to put my referee shirt on and go break this up. And instead, my oldest boy goes over to my daughter and figures out that, hey, I'm going to help her instead. And he intuitively runs back to the back. And he grabs two of her toys instead of one of his, and he hands it to her, Hands them to her, So he said, "Sophia, what do you want this one?" And she grabs it, puts it on the top, and then this continues. But the middle my middle son figures it out. And all of a sudden it goes to this amazing harmony where they're playing together and they're stacking this big toy pile. And I remember reflecting on that, Jeff, and thinking, wouldn't it be great if we all work that way? Because right? we all have our own piles like we all have our own things that we're working on. Well early on in my career when I was building my company I did a phenomenal job of confusing my company with what was most important. Hmm. Every year I'd roll out all these priorities and you know I'd have 3 to 5 priorities at least and I thought I was doing better than most but as I rolled out these priorities as it rippled down to the organization, everyone else would have their priorities that supported these company priorities. And once you start multiplying all an individual's priorities with the company's priorities, you can imagine, just do the math, right? Even if it's 50, 60 people. And I would switch them quarterly, and we, we were always switching direction on these uh, priorities in the focus. Well, I'm a student of Pat Lincioni and his work And I finally, through some struggle that we were having as a company, we were about to lose one of our largest customers. And so we zoomed out and we had a real emergency room situation. And at that point in time, I had to zoom out with my team and figure out, okay, we've got a real emergency here. What is the one thing that we must do over the course of nine months to get through this? And we're all going to put our energy towards this. This was back in like 2000. Uh, 11. And we didn't leave that room for three days until we all agreed on that one thing. And once we got to that one thing, then we all put our energy around it. And we got through it. And we did the same thing the following year. And then we did the same thing the following year. And instead of rolling out all these priorities that rippled through the organization, the entire organization focused on that one thing, our rally cry for the year, and we all agreed on exactly how we were going to map it out. And I've evolved that through the years to where every January, I have a, a meeting where we all form our rally cry. And that's the only thing we focus on as an organization. And back when we first encountered that initial struggle, we had we were had experienced some pretty fortunate growth. We were at about 100 million. Well, since we started focusing on that one thing, and we call it climbing as one, and putting all our energy towards that. In the course of from that first rally cry, we are now on our eighth consecutive rally cry, focusing on one thing and one thing only as a community. We've gone from over one hundred from one hundred million to over six hundred million in just that short time period, mm-hmm. all by channeling our energy and working and climbing as one. And I use that toy pile story as a metaphor for like we all have our own piles, and if we focus on protecting our piles instead of focusing on one thing, yeah. Imagine the possibilities when you harness the energy of hundreds and all the people that you have put in this work towards this one thing. Mm. Like magic happens.
0: So this and it's is liberating. Yeah. It's liberating
2: for people. So I,
0: it's an amazing story. And the fact that it's helped your business go from 100 million to 600 million. I mean, like this, this is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. And I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes the listener. And I'm going, that sounds amazing. And what about all the other stuff that pops up? What does that actually look like? How do your people operate throughout the day so that they are saying yes to their one thing and still dealing with all the chaos that builds?
2: Well, I personally struggled with the fact that I, I, didn't know, I didn't know that no wasn't a four-letter word, Jay and in early those early days i was saying yes to everything mm-hmm. and we were we were prior like everything was important and because it was on someone's radar or we had some you know hole we had to mend not that they weren't important also they just weren't most important and we had to learn through the struggles that we were having and i'd like to think that i would have figured out a better way had i not gone through that struggle as an organization. Yeah. I that struggle put us in that situation where we had to stop, meet the pain head on, suffer through it together, work through it together. And since then we are I mean it's it's our religion. Mm -hmm. Like we will never go back to not having one singular rally cry year after year. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much so that you know, this last year I flew 200 people to you know my my exec team. will get together in December and we'll assess our current situation. How are we feeling? What's going on? What are our customers saying? What symptoms do we have? What are we doing well? And from there, you know, and they'll do some pre work talking to their leaders heading into that into that our December meeting, and then we. We'll pull out the themes and we'll get to a place where we we have a we think we know what our rally cry is going to be. But then we bring two hundred it two hundred of our best climbers. I call my employees climbers, and I'll bring them into a location the second week of January. And in that meeting, we will leave there with not only our single most important thing that we're all going to focus on for the year, but everyone. Will collaborate as teams on, this is how I'm going to contribute towards that one thing from my part of the ecosystem. Mm. So we have our one thing as a community, the teams have their one thing as teams. And when you multiply that, it's a checkmate game. And it just liberates us with all the other unnecessary stuff. So no goes away by default. When you channel your energy around one thing,
0: the moment you're clear on what you're saying yes to,
1: right.
0: saying no to everything else becomes really easy. Most That's people right. aren't clear on what they're saying yes to. So when the email dings, when the meeting request comes, when somebody asks, Do you got a minute? They just say yes.
2: <laughs> I was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: so walk, let's, uh, let's, walk through, let's walk through the journey because we know that sure. success is sequential it's not simultaneous it's not like overnight all of a sudden boom you have this one rallying cry and all your climbers are climbing in the same direction marching against that one thing what do you know now that you wish you had known at the beginning of the journey
2: but you know i agree with you jeff if if i was to put all the mistakes that i made during that time frame in one book it would be too long for anyone to read like we had struggle after struggle during that journey. And it took us a while to figure it out. Now, one of the things I want to be real clear about is, I'm real proud about those numbers, but those numbers are the result of what we did and and the result of how we climbed together and our focus. For me, the single most important part is the lesson I learned from the bus story. And one of the biggest mistakes I made that I believe is much bigger than what I learned initially with distracting my teams with multiple priorities is the fact that I didn't I didn't tell my story. When I started my company in 2002, I didn't share that bus story with anyone for nine years. It was raging like an inferno inside of me. My wife knew, but that's it. My brother who was on the bus with me, he knew. But nobody else, and I fell into the dogma that other people that were working for me didn't want it as much as I do, and it would show up in my intensity. And people didn't understand me very well. You know, I I was a pretty intense guy in terms of my passion to to get things done. And then I was working on this um, this video. Project to codify our culture and film our first culture code, and during that project, there was a quiet guy named Ben that was uh, videotaping the project for me, and we were scripting it, and I was uncomfortable, and I was like, "Man, I can't do this." I'm like, well, "Let's just let's just talk," and he started with the bus story, and the reason he we started there is our core belief is that, and the reason we exist is we believe everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. And Ben simply asked me, "Bobby, why do you believe that?" And for the first time, I shared the bus story with someone other than my wife. Hmm. And Jeff, I felt like a thousand-pound gorilla just jumped off my back. And a few weeks later, after we completed the project, my company heard it for the first time. <laughs> it changed everything. They now understood me and the bus story just had such a big impact on them. And they knew I was a champion for the underdog. They knew that I intuitively really cared about them, but they didn't know what it was that was driving me as much as it is. They didn't, they couldn't tell what was driving me on the inside. Mm-hmm. I hadn't told them my story. And then once I did, over the years, and then they started telling their stories, and they started connecting to that, and they saw me in a different way i was I became human to them. Hmm. and living with purpose and, and priority, I believe is a big uh, part of the one thing i absolutely. wasn't doing that, and absolutely. you know I was doing my best you know, it was unintentional it 's not that i was that i didn't want to tell them, but I had mustered up the courage I hadn't Figured out that vulnerability is a skill that actually helps you connect with your people. I was buying into the dogma that, you know, the leadership chain is the IQ chain. And once I shared that story with them, Jeff, like I was just Bobby to them. And they wanted to help me as much as I wanted to help them.
0: I'm imagining listening to this Bobby and going, okay. I can put myself in your shoes. If I grew up that way, you know, you'd you'd have a very big why to succeed, right? And you could absolutely see how that could drive you. And there are so many people out there that they know that purpose is important and they're missing it. They're not clear on how they go about developing a sense of purpose. What would you say to them?
2: Here's the most important part of that bus story for me, Jeff. That that evening when Mr. Teague stepped on the bus and offered to buy me dinner, like I wanted off that bus more than anything. I wanted all the opportunities that I saw around me that my family didn't have. But more than that, I wanted my story to matter, just like you, just like I believe most everyone else. At the end of the day, Whatever that day is of our lives, we want our story to matter. And I didn't know at that point in time whether or not mine would. Mm. And for the first time, with one kind act, he showed me that I too could help somebody. And purpose is about helping people. Purpose is about giving. Giving feels good. And we're intuitively wired to help people. And I couldn't see three feet in front of my face. I was 17 years old. All I knew is that one year from then, I was going to raise my hand and join the army. And I talk about why I was going to do that in the book. But more than anything, I wanted my story to matter. Mm-hmm. Well, you flash forward quite a few years from that moment, I picked up the phone and I called Mr. Teague. And I told him the bus story, it was a special moment for us. And a few days later, I got a note from him. And he said, Bobby, thank you for calling me and telling me that story. I'm not afraid to admit to you the many tears that I shed during and after that call. You made me feel like my life had mattered. (laughs) I believe that's all, that's one of the things, if not the one thing that we all want at the end yeah. of our story. Yeah. Like, we want our story to matter. Yeah. And imagine, imagine Jeff trying to build something meaningful with purpose without the community that you're trying to build, without the people that you lead knowing that story. After I told that story, the transformation that happened was my company became a community. There's a big difference between a company and a community. And that's why I call my company... It's a community.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. I find myself sitting in the seat that you who's listening to this is sitting in and asking, I'm sold. You know, I I want to do this, and most people are not the leader of the business. They're either leaders within a business or individual contributors inside an organization. And going, where do I begin? What's that lead domino?
2: They need focusing questions. They need guidance. And yeah, you at know, the end of every chapter, Jeff, uh, for example, in this one, I. Put some questions that are probably more broad and bold than broad and specific. Mm. So that the reader and whether you're a leader of a small team or whether you're a leader of a large team, the questions to guide your journey that you need to start with these questions. And I agree with Jay and Gary. Too many people look for the answer. (laughs) Like it's over before you start if you do that. So I put some thought provoking questions at the end of each chapter. And they're simple, but they're broad and they're thought provoking. Like, do the people you lead know the story that drives you? Mm. And then, number two, how is this story embedded in everything you do? If it is the thing that drives you, then how does that ripple throughout the rest of your life? And three, how are you encouraging your people to share their most important story? Leaders give more than they take. And I talk about compassion leadership because. I believe that there's never been a greater need for compassion in leadership than today. We've been modeling the dogma of the alpha myths for far too long, and you know the the dictionary describes, that, if I'm paraphrasing here, but they define compassion as a sympathetic pity for those that are suffering. Or um, I'm paraphrasing Jeff, but it goes on to use some other synonyms like you know, kindness and warmth and understanding. And when you think about it, those leaders that we admire the most, and I can ask just about anyone that's listened to this, name the one or two people that had the most impact on your journey that helped you become the person that you are today. And they'll name a mentor or a friend or a teacher or a coach someone that always told them what they needed to hear versus what they wanted to hear. They were very demanding, Mm. yet they were also very involved. Mm. Just like a great dad. Our responsibility is to prepare our children for the path, not to prepare the path for them, right? So how do we do that? We're very involved and we're very demanding. Yet, we're modeling kindness. We're modeling patience. We're modeling the behaviors that we want them to emulate and we're imperfect i mean i'm sure you had your t- your kid do a uh, mock imitation of you of your tone or something you're like oh my gosh i did say that you don't have to be perfect but it, and you're not going to actually that's a, it's better for you and you know when you mess up just own your part that's actually a chapter in the book just raise your hand own it because people can see it right
0: <laughs> Daphne, this is about a month ago. She's, she's about to turn six. She looked at me and said, Daddy, I don't appreciate your lack of urgency. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's me.
2: <laughs> so good. So yeah, good. So People do what people see. Absolutely. And that is the unvarnished truth in leadership. If you're kind, if you're understanding, if you give people the benefit of the doubt, if you listen first, if you assume the best of your people, you know what? They're going to do that for theirs. And it took me a while getting through struggles. And I highlight a lot of those mistakes in the book, Jeff. You you name the imperfection, I had it.
0: The idea of that toy pile and having one rallying cry to everything you just described there really being boiled down to people do as people see. It's this idea... I, that we say all the time, which is extraordinary results does not come from doing more. It's doing more of what matters most. Exactly. I know that you have something about more not being the answer. Talk to us about that.
2: Well, what's important? What we do is important. I I believe we all agree on that. And those results we talked about in the beginning, they're, they're important. But why we do something and how we do something, they're more important than what. Because if you don't get those first two figured out, and if you're not telling your story and helping your people understand who you are and what you believe and your values, and you're modeling those imperfectly, then how do they know whether or not they want to stick with you throughout the journey? How will they know if they really want to help you? You have to share these struggles and share these these very marker events in your life with great timing, that it doesn't mean you air your dirty laundry. Like most great leaders, despise drama. Like we have no time in our life for drama because it impacts our one thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's just disruptive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, like we don't have time for drama. Let's focus on what's most important. And I, I wasn't doing it in the right order, Jeff. I was focused more on what we do versus making sure that people understood my lead domino of why I did it which then rippled into how we do it which became our culture code and we're now in version 3.0 because a good culture will evolve as the community evolves right your values remain the same but your boundaries right those those behaviors that we are all going to hold one, or so, one, one another accountable to that we're going to catch our one another doing doing well because you have to you know a great, compassionate leader, you you catch people doing things right more than you catch people doing things wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had to get that part of our story correct. And my responsibility as the leader of my community is to narrate the story. So once I lined up those dominoes, making sure people knew why we exist, making sure everyone understood this is how we're going to behave. Okay, now this is what we do. And what we do, uh, I massively oversimplify everything, which I think is is great for applying the fundamentals of the one thing. But what we do is, it's just you know, do you have the community doing the right things, doing the right things right, in in the right order? Mm -hmm. It's, It's business is simple. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's simple, but you have to have real clear focus around what your one thing is.
0: Walk us through the desert story.
2: <laughs> the desert shower. I, um, I was on my, I think it was my second rotation in the Mojave Desert. I was in the army and we used to do these long rotations in the Mojave Desert to simulate the training that we would, uh, the battle conditions that we would encounter in the Middle East. And the Mojave Desert can get up to 130 degrees during those summer months when we would do these uh, training rotations. And after a couple of weeks in the desert, you start to get pretty ripe and soldiers start smelling. And a shower is an absolute luxury while you're on this training mission. Well, about two weeks in, I had my opportunity to get my first shower. And I go to this you know area where we had the shower set up, and I walk around the corner and there's this box that is you know looks like I'm on the set of mash if I'm dating myself here, but it was uh <laughs> just this square <laughs> just this square like shower that you know you're if you step into it you know it was on it was on a pallet of wood and then it you know would cover. From your neck down to your knees, and then it had this bucket that you raised up that was a leather bucket with a shower head on the bottom and the soldier that was you know running that shower station, he brings over this uh, jug of water this container of water it had about two gallons of water in it, and he hands it to me, and he says, he uh, was you know Herrera because in the military they always call you by your last name." Hey Herrera, you got two gallons. Raise it up. Turn the shower head. It'll start dripping slowly. Start lathering from the top, and yeah, you know, try to save some water for the next soldier because we're running low. And I'm thinking in my head, like seriously, like two gallons? I haven't taken a shower in two weeks. Like, I'm thinking I'm going to need a lot more than two gallons of water. And so I get in the shower and I start I start doing as he instructed, and before you know it, you know, I'm rubbing the stubble on top of my head and the soap's dripping down and the water's starting to work its magic, just one drip at a time. And the more I lathered up and the more the water dripped slowly, before you know it, it was just working from the top and going down to the bottom. And before you know it, I'm done and I'm clean as a whistle, I'm feeling great. And I lower the bucket and I look in there. And I'd only used about a gallon of water. And I was shocked. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm thinking there's no way I'm only going to be able to do this with two gallons of water. But by allowing the drip to work and allowing it to start from the top, the most important part from my head down to my feet, it just washed all that grime away. Well, I use that story as a metaphor in the book because one of the hard lessons that I learned. And build in my community was I I used to think more, more was the answer. And as we were growing, my leaders would come to me and they'd say, Ah, I need more, I need more people, I need more of this, I need more of that. And I know that's a struggle that many leaders face out there. Mm. And through that lesson that I learned in the military, and as I encountered these struggles where people wanted more, I would reflect back on that lesson when I was in the heart of this struggle of all my leaders asking me for more and I would slow them down to the, so that they could get to their one thing, so that they could get to the most important part of the problem that they were supposed to solve for us at the time. Yeah. Every time, Jeff, more was never the answer.
0: This is highly relevant right now. Last year was the first time we held a reset retreat, which the idea is by middle of the year, most people... Uh, they've been executing against their business plan for long enough to see the results that are happening and oftentimes we fall behind. But they, between realizing that they fell behind, they said yes to all these other things. So right. by mid-year, they just feel like they're drowning and they just need to press reset. And it was this amazing aha that when we fall behind in the areas that matter most, we tell ourselves we need to do more. Mm-hmm instead of telling ourselves that we actually need to do less overall and more of what matters most.
2: Well, it's counterintuitive. It was counterintuitive for me. And you know, the one thing hadn't been written yet when I was going through all these struggles. So next time, please make sure Jay and Gary get it out sooner because I could have avoided a lot of this.
0: Well, we're, <laughs> we're actually working on, on our GPS for this year is develop a time machine so that we can go back and just get the book out there earlier. <laughs>
2: I'll pre-order. I'm in. Yeah, you're in. in. You're in. <laughs> but and here, here's how I intuitively got to it, Jeff. Applying that lesson that I've learned in the military, and you, know, we were big on debriefs. And you know, in the military, regardless of what branch you're in, you do a lot of debriefs, safety briefings. You slow down and you ask yourself, "Hey, what did you do well? What do we need to do better?" And so, I intuitively knew a lot of this stuff. And as I was going through these struggles. And my leaders were coming at me left and right with, I need more. We need more. We need more of this, more of that. I'm dizzy. And I slowed them down and I had every single one of them just do a flush list. And I still do this to this day hmm. where I, I had them just take out a sheet of paper or we got in a room and I'm like, just start writing down, write down everything that's bouncing around in your head like a bullet in a cave. Write it down on that piece of paper. Everything that's bugging you, everything that's troubling you. And we'd work through this flush list. And then after that, I would take that flush list and I'd say, okay, now prioritize it. And then we would take it another step further. All right, of all these, which one of these is going to make the single biggest impact to the part of the ecosystem that you're responsible for? (laughs) And every time I could see like all that weight they were carrying just leave their body. And then they would look at me and I'd had this is where. You know, you as a leader have to create that safety for them, and they'd say, "Okay, but what about all this other stuff?" I was like, "Hey, it's important, but it's not as important as this." You make an impact here. Imagine the possibilities when we're all focusing on the single most important part of the ecosystem. It's a checkmate game, just like the rally cry.
0: Yeah, I, I can I can just feel all the people who are in what we call our living your one thing community smiling as they listen to this because you just described turning a to-do list to a success list.
2: Yeah. Well, and it, it that's it. And, and that's really what it came down to. It initially started as a, I'm going crazy. I'll never be able to accomplish this list to, oh, I can do this. I can make an impact. That's right. And the confidence and the transformation that that created for us as a community, I'm so proud of that. Yeah. All it took was us slowing down and focusing on the most important part that we could control, because you're going to get the uncontrollable stuff. Yeah. And, and, and depending on the leader, you know, there's some leaders, not, you know, not everything is created equally from a responsibility perspective, nor should it be. And we would zoom out, and that created other opportunities for them to give the people they were responsible for more responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. Sometimes that would be a couple of big items. I'd say, okay, well, if you're going to focus on this, who on your team is ready for this? Maybe they'll pleasantly surprise us. And every time they did.
0: Love it. Love it. So let's, let's fly back up to 10,000 feet. Considering everything you have been through, all the stories in the gift of struggle, what's the one thing leaders listening to this can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary?
2: Make struggle your best friend. Although it's uncomfortable, it's going to be the most honest measure of progress towards the leader that they're trying to become.
0: Can we model this real quick? Because this is this is a perfect example of people will ask a question, they'll search for an answer, they'll find an answer, and they will settle at that answer. Yet it's not right. always the lead domino. What's the one thing they can do To make struggle their best friend?
2: I had, uh, I write about Dr. Joe, my mentor, and an exercise that he had me do. uh, I think to become a student of struggle, Jeff, you first, you need to go back to the beginning. Mm. So I would recommend that someone who is going to make struggle their best friend, you have to go back to the beginning. First, start with highlighting what some of those marker moments have been for you. What have been some of those? marker stories, those marker struggles that shaped who I am and who I've become. And then once you go back to the beginning and you understand that, then you can start mapping out the journey. Okay, this is where I'm at today. And what is the one thing that I need to focus on to get to that leader that that I want to become? Because it's going to be situational. Mm -hmm. And not everything's created equal. My struggles are going to be different than yours. But what we can guarantee is that we all have our stuff. We all struggle. We all have. It's been with us since day one. And once you understand that that story and that journey, then you can build on it. And you can start changing that narrative.
0: Yeah. And so folks, listen to how the dominoes are lining up. And we could go even smaller. Can you time block a 10 minute block where you will sit down? And go back to the beginning to identify those marker moments that have shaped who you are. The lead domino is scheduling the 10 minutes. That makes showing up for the 10 minutes easier, which makes actually reviewing the marker moments easier, which then knocks down... You see how they all line up. The path to getting everything you want is to get one thing at a time. Bobby where can people learn more about the gift of struggle and how can they support you during the book launch
2: Jeff I moved to a I moved to a farm in Portland last year to lay low and uh, <laughs> social media stuff so it's not working very well but you know I'm starting to have fun with it uh, my website is bobby-herrera.com com or the gift to struggle com and on the other you know I'm on LinkedIn so please follow me there I'll post. Some more thought-provoking stories. I have a lot lined up during the launch of the book. It's available on June 4th. And I have... Uh, my handle is Bobby Herrera. At Bobby Herrera, PG for Populous Group.
0: Yeah, very good. And, and folks, I can't underscore this enough. If this is a Ray Bard book, it's it's a goodie. So if you like the one thing... I mean, you for those of you who have been in our community, you just heard Bobby lacing this episode with language around the one thing. I mean, these two books are very aligned. He knows the book well. He lives the book clearly. And it has shown up in his results. So Bobby, thank you very much for the time and best of luck on the launch.
2: Bless. Grateful, Jeff. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Bobby Herrera, CEO of the Populist Group, author of the brand new book, The Gift of Struggle. Make sure you pick it up anywhere books are sold. It would mean the world to us if you would do it right now because we know being in the book world, those first few weeks make a huge difference. It's, it's that whole domino effect becomes very possible. So if you want to support uh, ideas similar to the one thing, please pick up a copy of The Gift of Struggle. The, the key thing that I heard here is reshaping your relationship with struggle. I mean, for me personally, I have viewed it as adversity and had a, a negative connotation associated to it. Yet, if you can view it as though everything is happening for you, not to you, and that there is a gift somewhere inside of it, and you're willing to be vulnerable, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. So thank you so much for listening to this. Please think about the people that you think need to hear this message and share this episode with them. Send them a text. Send it to them via email, walk over, grab their phone, show them that they actually have a podcast app. It'll be like Christmas come early and download the episode and hit that subscribe button. If you are new to the One Thing podcast, click the subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And if you have not yet done this, please leave us a rating and a review on your podcast player of choice and make sure that all future episodes automatically get downloaded and you will not miss one thing. Thanks so much. And we'll be with you in the next episode.